You know, if you are new to Calvary Church, we're in the middle of a series that we're calling Follow. And actually, what you need to understand is not only are we in the middle of a series that we're calling Follow, How to Be a Disciple, is that we are in the middle of a focus this year in 2023. What we said at the beginning of 2023 was that we were going to have an intentional focus on discipleship this year with an emphasis on prayer and missions. And so we started the year off with a series that we call Three Relationships Discipleship, which is our philosophy of discipleship here at Calvary Church. It's the way that we do discipleship here. It's our pathway. And what we talked about is being a disciple occurs, the way you are a disciple occurs in the setting of three relationships, your relationship with God, your relationship with the church, your relationship with the world. And there are different rhythms in those relationships that we want you to kind of work on, kind of make a part of your daily life. And from there, we then went into the series that we're doing now, which is Follow, How to Be a Disciple of Jesus. And in both of those series, we've been taking a look at the book of Mark, because Mark is just full with just great, in-depth guidance on this discipleship life. Now, one of the things that you need to know, I said that we have an emphasis of prayer this year, and one of the things that we've been excited about is we've been able to partner with See Jesus Ministries and Paul Miller, and we had a Praying Life seminar, and you need to keep your eyes open for like in the summer and the fall for another seminar we're going to do with them again. We've had prayer cohorts that have come out of that, and some of you may not know, but in this room in Souderton on Saturday mornings, it's actually open for people if they want to pray. If you want more information on that, go to the hub and ask them to get Wayne, one of our worship leaders, to contact you. We feel that prayer is a big part of our lives as a disciple. And when you pray, there's different things that happen. You know, you can say you're sorry to God. You can thank him for something. You can ask for something. Uh, you can rave about him. Tell him how great he is. Or, or you could just simply talk with God. But oftentimes, if we're honest, when we think about prayer... Oftentimes we kind of focus on that ask, right? Like that request making to God. That's usually the rhythm of, of our conversations with God. And that's okay. God wants us to come, you know, to him with our requests. But what happens when what you ask for, what happens when the request you made seems to not get answered or seems to be answered in a way you didn't want to? What happens when you're praying for something, when you're, when you're praying for something that you really desire, something good, something you, maybe you're praying for a child, maybe you're praying for a spouse, maybe you're praying for something like healing, so, something going on, you're praying for that. What happens when it just seems that that answer doesn't go the way you want it, that the answer is no? Today we're going to be looking at a story of someone who prayed very earnest prayer. And the answer to the request was no. Up until this point, we've done different things in regards to discipleship. We've looked at the flavor of a disciple. We've looked at the heart of a disciple, the priority of a disciple. Today, we're going to look at the prayer of a disciple. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Mark. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, uh, whether you're in Sourtown or in Quakertown, you can use one of our church Bibles. Uh, if you don't own one, take it home. It's our gift to you. We believe that the Bible is filled with life-changing truth. So go ahead and take one home. It's our gift to you. Uh, if you're using one of these Bibles, turn to page 695. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. 
My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Today we're going to learn about an honest prayer. We're going to learn about a bold prayer. And we're going to learn about a denied prayer. An honest prayer, a bold prayer, and a denied prayer. Jesus prays an honest prayer. Aside from the cross, this is one of the darkest moments of Jesus' life. And what I think is important to see is that Mark just gives us this vivid description. He gives us these, these, these beautiful details as he talks through this account. And at times when we've looked at this story, at least when I've looked at this story before, what happens is I, I, I kind of jump to an application of, of making sure that I live my life with the attitude of not my will but yours be done. And, and I look at that response of Jesus and I kind of jump right to there. Okay, okay, the point of this is not my will but yours be done. We just jump. But when I jump to there, I kind of skip all of these details and all of these moments in that story. This is... An agonizing moment for Jesus. In verse 34, he says he is overwhelmed with sorrow. The sorrow is so overwhelming. I'm overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Why? Why was he so overwhelmed with sorrow? What, what is happening in this moment? What's happening in this moment is that Jesus knows the hour had come. The hour had come. There's a phrase that if you read the stories of Jesus, there's a phrase that you would see that happens at different moments in Jesus' life. It's this phrase that says, the hour had not yet come. In John chapter 2, verse 4, uh, Jesus is at a wedding and his mother comes to him and says, we're out of wine. And what happens next is Jesus does his miracle where he turns water into wine. But before that, he says that his hour has not yet come in response to this request from his mother. In John chapter 7, Jesus is having a conversation with his brothers. And his brothers kind of get on him and they're like, hey, 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 if you want to be a public figure, stop doing stuff in secret. And they start going back and forth. And Jesus says, my hour has not yet come come. Later on in John chapter 7, there's an argument, there's a discussion, a conversation that happens where people are disagreeing about the identity of Jesus, disagreeing about who he is. And it gets to be really heated and they want to go and arrest Jesus. They want to go and get him and they can't. And the Bible says they can't because his hour had not yet come. When Jesus flings himself onto the floor in the garden and begins to pray, what he understands is the hour has come. The hour has come. And the garden begins this agony of Jesus. This agony of Jesus. I mentioned at the beginning about how we started this year with a series called Three Relationships Discipleship. And Three Relationships Discipleship, again, is, is just our philosophy model of discipleship here 
at Calvary Church. And it's, it's, it's modeled after this relationship with God, relationship with the church, relationship with the world. And it's a relationally driven model of discipleship. And the reason that we are doing a relationally driven model of discipleship is because God exists. God has existed and exists in eternity in relationship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they have existed throughout eternity in relationship. And that is the point of Jesus' agony. Yes, Jesus is about to go and he's about to have a, a death that is physically excruciating. He was fully man. So yes, those thorns that were put on his head, this crown of thorns was excruciating, excruciatingly painful. The whips on his back, those marks were excruciating painful. The nails that were nailed into his hands, in, into his hands when he is crucified on the cross, it was excruciatingly painful. But what Jesus' source of agony is, is more than that. Jesus' source of agony is based on his relationship with God and how the Son has always existed in this harmonious relationship with the Father. But in Mark chapter 15, verse 34, Jesus cries out on the cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the horror of the cross. And what happens on the cross has everything to do with relationship. Jesus experiences a relational fracture on the cross as he bore our sins. He was the representative, the sin bearer, and he bore the complete guilt of our sin so that there is none left for us to bear. Therefore, God treated him as if he were sin itself. In one sense, Jesus goes through hell on the cross. And it is this agony, it is this agony that spurs on this honest prayer of Jesus. This honest prayer of Jesus. He goes and he cries out, Abba. And in Abba, this word from Jesus' time and culture, and this, this Abba, we get this, this picture of the word like Papa. Papa. He comes to, to, to God and, he's, and he says, Abba, Papa. Papa, this is so overwhelming. Papa, Papa the, what I'm looking at, what I have to face, this hour that has come is so overwhelming, and I know anything's possible from you. Take this cup from me. This is this honest, vulnerable prayer prayed in this agonizing moment. This is an intimate prayer. This is a very honest prayer. And as I was reading through the passage and looking at that prayer, I thought to myself, how often, how often do I sanitize and formalize my prayers to God? Cleaning them up so that they can be appropriate. But what God wants is my honest, vulnerable heart. And Jesus approaches Abba with complete and open honesty. And it is this honesty that leads him to pray a bold prayer, a bold prayer. He approaches his Abba with an honest prayer, which leads him to pray a bold prayer. My daughter Autumn turned 20 years old this past week. I did not give her permission to do that. <laughs> and I was thinking about Autumn and I was thinking about this passage and I was thinking about a time 10 years ago when she was 10, 20 minus 10 is 10. <laughs> when she was 10 years old. And I remember her coming one night into 
my wife and I's room and she comes into our bedroom and she, she, she comes into the bedroom and she goes something like this. She goes, oh, daddy. She doesn't really talk like that, but it's more fun to tell the story this way, just so you know. She's like, daddy, I have something that I want to ask you, uh, but I know you're going to say no, so I'm not going to ask you, but I want to ask you. And I'm just watching her go back and forth for a couple of minutes. And I'm like, Autumn, you can, you can ask me anything. Like, it's okay. You can ask me whatever you want to ask me. I'm your dad. Come on. You can ask me. Okay. 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 No, 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 no. And I'm not sure what's happening in this moment. I'm like, okay, is she like really flip? Is she trying to do reverse psychology? I'm not sure what's happening right here. And so finally she goes, okay, okay, okay. Daddy, can I stay up late and watch a movie? And I'm watching her and I'm like, Autumn, that's all it was? That, that's, what you, that's what was filling you with so much angst to come to me? You can talk to me about anything. That's, that was what, Autumn, you, you know you can come to me and talk about anything. Yes. You know you can ask me anything. Yes. Okay, but the answer is no. It's a school night. <laughs> it's a school night and you have to go to sleep. <laughs> Not sure she appreciated that. But when I was thinking about this passage, and I was thinking about how Jesus approaches with a bold prayer to his Abba, to his Father. Jesus didn't approach God as Autumn approached me. Jesus prays a bold prayer. Look at Mark 14, 36 again. What's he say? Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yeah, not what I will, but what you will. Jesus approaches God with this bold prayer. He says, anything is possible for you, Abba. And just to point out, the not my will doesn't negate his boldness. The not my will doesn't negate this bold request. It doesn't lessen the boldness of this request at all. What it does is it saturates this boldness with a heart and attitude of trust. With a heart and attitude of trust. You see, Jesus is making a bold request and he is also expressing his trust to the one he is making the request to. I don't know about you, but I feel like at times when I pray and, and I have in the back of my mind this not my will but yours be done I kind of express it in a way more like autumn than I do like Jesus I almost cancel out my request before I can even make it the prayer of a disciple is bold it is bold it is bold not because of the power of my prayer but it is bold because of the power of the one who I'm praying to. Get that? It's not bold because of the power of our prayer. It's bold because of the power of the one we're praying to. It's bold because we can trust the one we're praying to. That's what fuels this bold prayer. So Jesus prays an honest prayer, a vulnerable prayer. He pours out his heart before God and he prays a, a, this, this, this just this bold request. This big request before God. But remember my story about Autumn? She didn't get to stay up, did she? 
What's the answer to Jesus's bold request? The answer that the father gives Jesus is no. No. Jesus's prayer request is denied. Jesus approaches God with an honest prayer. And because he was honest, had his honest approach, it allows him to pray a bold prayer. But the result of that honest and bold prayer is an answer of no. Jesus's prayer is denied. He prays a denied prayer. And I think it's important to, to offer a distinction here. Neither Jesus nor his prayer were rejected. There's a difference. They weren't rejected. God accepts his honest and bold prayer. In fact, he lovingly embraces that moment, but the request is denied. And what happens immediately after this prayer, immediately after this prayer, while they are in the garden, Jesus is approached by Judas, one of the men who he's lived life with, one of his friends, one of, his, one of the people that they just did everything together. And Judas approaches him and he betrays him with a kiss. From that moment, Jesus will be arrested he would be convicted even though he was completely innocent. And he would suffer a brutal death on a cross immediately after. You see, Jesus' Gethsemane prayer was denied so that his ultimate prayer and mission could be accomplished. Reconciling humanity to God and providing for the forgiveness of sin. Jesus pays the price for our sins. And the truth of the matter is this, because Jesus was told no, we can be told yes. Because Jesus was told no, we can be told yes. Because Jesus was told no, we can be told yes to reconciliation with God. Because Jesus was told no, we can be told yes to forgiveness from God. Because Jesus was told no, we can be told yes to a new identity, no longer enemies with God, but now children of God. That is the power and beauty of not my will, but yours be done. So what does that teach us for our own prayer lives? What, what does that teach us? What, what, does this, what does this teach us? I don't know about you, but at times I've prayed for something. In fact, I continue to pray for things. And at times, they're not changing. At times, what I'm praying for isn't being answered the way that I desire it to be answered. In fact, at times, it just feels like nothing's happening. And in those moments, if I'm honest, there are times where I just am like, God, where are you? Are you even listening? Do you even care? If I was to, if you were to peel apart the thoughts inside of my brain in those moments, in those moments when I'm praying these prayers and they don't seem to be going anywhere, or in fact, they're going the opposite direction, in those moments, there's a feeling of, where are you, God? Are you even listening? And the truth is that he is. Jesus was not abandoned in the garden. And his prayer was heard. His prayer was heard. Let me explain what I mean. If you 
can turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 5. In the church Bibles, it's found on page 819. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one he, who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. There is no recorded prayer in the Bible that mirrors this description in Hebrews better than the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. It is an honest, bold prayer prayed in an agonizing moment. And while the answer to Jesus' request was no, the truth of Hebrews 5-7 is very true and very powerful. His prayer was heard and God responds. The truth of the matter is, even though the response of my prayers aren't always what I might desire, it doesn't mean that God is not responding. It doesn't mean that God has abandoned. Look, the truth, what we need to understand is that this story, this account of the Garden of Gethsemane, it happens in more than just the book of Mark. It happens in Luke. It happens in Matthew. And in Luke chapter 22, look at this, this account, verse 42, page 720, if you want to look at the church Bibles. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. It's a dark moment, but what happens in this moment? Jesus is told no, but God equips and strengthens Jesus to live out God's will. God is not meant to submit to our will. We are meant to submit to his. And his will will be accomplished through the, his source of strength. That, and he will enable us to submit to his will. And so Jesus prays an honest prayer. He prays a bold prayer. And he prays a denied prayer. What does this all mean for us? I titled this message at the beginning, I said that the title of this message was The Prayer of a Disciple. And our prayer lives need to mirror this truth of Jesus, this, this, this honest approach in prayer, this bold approach in prayer, this trusting approach, even when our prayers are answered differently than the ways we want them to be answered. But that's not the prayer I'm referring to when I talk about the prayer of a disciple. The prayer of a disciple, the most important prayer in a disciple's life is actually the one that was prayed by the one that we follow. It's prayed by the one that we follow. This prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane by Jesus paved the way for us to be able to approach God as disciples. Before Jesus could subject his body to the horror of the cross, he had to subject his will to God's will in the garden. And it's interesting. It's interesting that this all takes place in the garden. It's interesting that this all takes place in the garden. If you were to go backwards in the story, to the beginning of the story, actually the first book in the Bible, the first couple chapters in the Bible, the book of Genesis, 
you would learn about another garden. But this garden's not called Gethsemane. This garden's called Eden. What's interesting is, in Eden, humanity falls. In Eden, humanity falls. In Gethsemane, Jesus takes a stand. In Eden, God has to seek out humanity after the fall. In Gethsemane, Jesus seeks after God in, proper, in preparation to satisfy the price of that fall. In Eden, humanity told God, not your will, but mine be done. In Gethsemane, Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. The Bible can be a tale of two gardens. In the first, God is rejected by humanity. In the second, God's son accepts the fate to save humanity. The prayer of Jesus in Gethsemane is the foundation of the prayer of each and every disciple because it is in this prayer that Jesus submits his will and begins his atoning work. In two weeks, in two weeks, we're going to be celebrating Easter. Two weeks. In Gethsemane, Jesus accepts the cup of God's wrath, which leads to a cross, which leads to a tomb, which leads to a stone being put in front of that tomb, which leads to a stone being rolled away from that tomb on the third day, which leads to Jesus walking out alive and eternally victorious. And that, my friends, is the good news of the gospel. And we want everyone to hear that good news. So what are we going to do in response to the prayer of Jesus is this. We're going to pray. We're going to pray together right now. Whether you're here in Souderton, whether you're over in Quakertown, or you're joining us online, we're going to pray together as one church. We're going to pray for three things. And so here's what I'd like you to do. Just get yourself ready to pray. Maybe that means you close your eyes. Maybe that means you bow your head. Whatever it is to get yourself ready to pray. Same in Quakertown or online. Get yourselves ready to pray. Because we're going to pray for three different things. You're going to pray silently. I'm going to pray out loud. Here's the first thing we're going to pray for. The first thing we're going to pray for is this. Who is it? That when you're thinking, when you're pausing, when you're reflecting, who is it in your life that you know, you know, needs to hear the gospel and needs to hear their life changed by the gospel? Who is it? Is it a friend? Is it a child? Is it a spouse? A co-worker? Who is it? And we're going to pray for that person and we're going to pray for you to have the boldness to share the gospel with them. Got it? You got the person in your mind? You got the person in your mind over there in Quakertown and online? All right, let's pray. God, we pray for each and every person that is being placed on our heart this morning. God, I ask you that you would give us a boldness 
to bring the gospel into the lives of that person. Whether it's a conversation that we actually share the gospel, whether it's a lived out portrayal of the gospel, or whether it's just inviting them to church to hear the gospel, I ask you that you would give us the boldness to do that. And that you would begin to work in the heart of that person, that you would begin to just get that heart ready for the gospel. And that when the gospel is heard, that lives will be changed. But whoever it is that we're thinking about at this moment, wherever we are in Souderton or online or in Quakertown, Lord, show us the power of the good news of Jesus this year. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's the second thing we're going to pray for. Some of you are seated in a chair here in Sourton. Some of you are seated in a chair in Quakertown. Some of you are on your couches online. Just so you know, in two weeks, someone might be seated in that chair that's not you. Someone might be sitting next to you, to your left or to your right, or in front of you, or behind you. We're going to pray for those people who are seating in those seats. So what I want you to do is pray for your seat and the seats around you. In Quakertown, I want you to do the same. If you're online, I want you to pray for both of our campuses. Spend some time praying for Quakertown and praying for Souderton. We want people in these seats, not for the sake of having people in the seats. We want people in the seats so that they can hear about Jesus. And so whatever it is that God places in your heart, maybe it's to pray for their protection as they drive here. Maybe pray that they get the courage to come here. Maybe pray for them to be able to bring their family and that it would be a smooth Sunday for them, that there'd be no distractions. Whatever it is, pray for the seats around you. Pray for the seats around you in Quakertown and pray for our campuses. Let's pray. God, We pray for those who would be at our services, both here and in Quakertown and even watching online as well. God, that even now, you would begin to just stir in people's hearts this curiosity, this curiosity of, of who Jesus is, this, this unsettled emotion that I've got to learn about Jesus because something is just tugging at my heart. God, I ask you that each person who's seated in these chairs, in this room in Sowerton or in the room in Quakertown or online, wherever they hear the gospel, that, that you would stir in their heart, that when Charles preaches and he speaks the message of Easter, that they would hear it and that it would click, that it would click and that their heart would be stirred and their love would be awakened. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Got one more we're going to pray for. One more thing. Don't know if you know this. We're not the only people celebrating Easter in two weeks. Just so you know. 
In case you were wondering, church doesn't end in this building. In fact, we're surrounded by a whole family of believers all around us. So we're going to pray for our community and the churches in our community. Where do you live? Maybe you live in Dublin and you pass by Living Hope. Pray for Living Hope. Maybe you're in Percocet, you pass by Renew, pray for Renew. Maybe you're in Quakertown, pray for Morning Star or East Swamp. Where do you live? What churches are in your community? We're going to pray for them. Because what you need to understand is we're passionate about growing God's kingdom and that doesn't just happen here. And so we pray with all of our churches around us together that God grows his kingdom. So think about a church right now. Think about a church that God places on your heart. And let's pray together for those churches. God, we are asking you to do a great work, not just here, not just at Calvary. We're asking you to do a great work as a whole for your kingdom. And so, Lord, we do pray for the churches around us. For the churches we just mentioned, Lord, we pray for them and their pastors. We pray for Eugene and Chris, for Dave and Aaron and for John. Lord, for all of the pastors, we pray for them and their families, and we pray that you would do a great work this Easter. God bless your church, your church, and grow your church. Bless our community, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name.